now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. A very good Sunday morning to you. I'm Ali Bally. Welcome to the programme. And today, your heating, your holidays and even the food you eat. Are you prepared for the sacrifices we're going to have to make if Scotland is to go carbon neutral in 25 years' time? Basically, what we're going to be asking folk out there is to, to come on board with us. Help us now. Don't fight us on this. Will Scotland come quietly in the name of climate change? Also, it's a year since Scotland brought in minimum pricing of alcohol. Have you even noticed? We still buy our normal wine, decent wine, beers. beers Probably hasn't made a lot of difference, now. And have you got a view about the row over Percy Pigs? Some people are furious because now you can only buy the vegetarian version of the chewy sweets. Is that fair when more than 8 out of 10 of us aren't vegetarian? Just some of the subjects we'll be talking about on Scotland's Talking over the next couple of hours. If you'd like to join us, the phone lines are open. 0333 2020 401. Scotland's Talking. The podcast. Uh, welcome then to this week's Scotland Talking. We'll, we'll start off today with climate change and hot air, which we're used to on this show. Not from me, you understand. No, no, no. Uh, what are you prepared to give up to save the planet? The Commission for Climate Change has set out plans to cut the UK's greenhouse gases to net zero by 2050. And Scotland's being even more ambitious with a pledge to be carbon neutral by 2045. That's just 25 years away. Environment Secretary Rosanna Cunningham's been explaining the plan to our political correspondent, Alan Smith, for Scotland's Talking. They will be tough and they are challenging. Um, But really, we have to do it. This is the scientific advice. This is the basis on which we do our climate change legislation in Scotland. um, And we can't afford not to do it. The big issue here, though, is that the CCC, for the very first time, has been quite explicit about saying that we can reach this target of net zero in 2045 in Scotland. But it does depend on Westminster stepping up to the plate on a range of policies which are reserved to Westminster. Can you tell us about the action then that you can take? Because obviously it'll take more than the planting of a few more trees to to reach these targets. Well, planting trees is really important and it is one of the things flagged up by the CCC that one of the reasons they think Scotland can get to net zero um, earlier than the rest of the UK um, is precisely because we've got the capacity to plant more trees. Um, So planting trees is important, but there are are aspects right across our economy that are going to need another long, hard look. Um, And and basically what we're going to be asking folk uh, out there is to to come on board with us. Help us now. Don't fight us on this. The government is still committed to fossil fuel extraction and to cutting aviation tax as well. So where's the balance in all of this if if you're committed to those things, but yet trying to bring these targets forward? Well, the thing you need to remember about the target of uh, of the net zero emissions is that it's not saying there are no emissions. So there are lots of activities across the whole of the economy where emissions are unavoidable. Food production, for example, you can't produce food without emissions. So there there will always be emissions produced. The issue is whether or not we can reduce enough in other areas in order to get to that net zero. Environment Secretary Rosanna Cunningham talking there to Alan Smith. 
Now, as you heard, the report says that will mean things like planting more trees and switching to electric boilers and cars. We could be looking at big changes to our lifestyles as well. Uh, we, we'll have to take fewer flights, for instance, so cheap trips to the continent will be a thing of the past. Diets will change too. We may need to eat less meat and dairy. And the central heating will have to be turned down to 19 degrees. How would you cope with all that? Mike Robinson's from Stop Climate Chaos Scotland. He's been telling our senior reporter Natalie Crawford it can be achieved. I think the UK CCC advice is very clear and very helpful and I'm absolutely delighted that the Scottish Government have uh, taken that advice on board. There's clear public sentiment that we must deal with this climate emergency. Um, these figures from the UK CCC not only indicate uh, the value in uh, moving things forward and the capacity to move things forward quickly, but also the fact that it's also not going to cost very much. And therefore, I think this is to be wholly welcomed. Is there any possibility that this could be too ambitious? Is, is this a realistic target a whole five years before, you know, everybody else? First of all, there's real value in showing leadership around this issue. Scotland has already benefited internationally by showing leadership, both in terms of its sort of business reputation, its scientific reputation. And I think it is better to be seen to be leading this issue rather than trying to sort of trail on behind. Is it realistic to do it more quickly than the rest of the UK? Well, the UK CCC advice, that's exactly what the report says. And should we, well, do we have a choice? We have to deal with this issue. This isn't an option. It's something we have to do and have to sort out. And I actually think it's a, a really positive thing that our nation wants to, to show leadership in such a critical issue. So what would your message be to ordinary people? What can we do to help make this happen? I think every single one of us has a role to play. We could all do more because this is an issue that we're learning more about every year and every day. So every single one of us could do more to improve our own carbon footprint. But I think we should take pride in the fact that we're tackling this. This is a positive thing. This is going to impact air quality and all sorts of other social improvements if we can do this and if we can take the sort of right path. So um, we should be proud that we're leading this. This should be a really, really positive thing and, uh, and, and I think there'll be a lot of actual social benefits through tackling this issue head on. So, how do you feel about making big changes to your lifestyles then? Cheap trips to the continent and, as I say, fewer flights taking place? Be interesting. 25 years is not that far away, you know. Just add it to what age you are at the moment. Will you be around in 25 years? There's another thing. And if you're not, you're doing this for future generations, for your children, for your children's children, etc. What are your thoughts on this? 033-2020-401. Scotland's got to do it five years ahead of the rest of the UK. 033-2020-401. That's the phone number. Join in the debate. Come on. That's what it's all about. Give us a call. Let me know whether you think this is just a load of hot air or indeed is it something that we should be encouraging ourselves and our families to tackle. 033-2020-401. Jonathan, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Ali. Morning. How are you today? 
Yeah, not bad today. It's a good sunny morning as of today, and I didn't expect it to get warm in the afternoon yesterday. I know, yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? It was okay yesterday afternoon, but it's meant to be a bit chillier today. So, climate change, where do you stand on this, then, Jonathan? Well, with all honesty, you know, I do speak as a 25-year-old volunteer litter picker, and... Hang on, hang on, that's a heck of a tag to put on yourself. A 25-year-old litter picker. So you go around around trying to save the planet? Yes, I do go around uh, pretty much a lot of Western Bartonshire to actually get rid of a lot of the litter, even in Serenes as well. And to be honest with much of what has been said about this whole climate change debacle, it's it's actually kind of over-exaggerated, in my opinion. Oh, why is it over-exaggerated? This is a, a good com- a comment coming from a 25-year-old then. Go on. Well, because most of what is being said and what's having to be put in with these policies, I don't think these policies are actually going to be realistic enough. And this whole debacle over whether Extinction Rebellion has to protest about, well, there are other things going wrong with the country that require much more of a priority than this whole thing about climate change. In fact, when I read the manifesto of Extinction Rebellion on the posters when around coming up to early March, when it was the first um, protest in Glasgow, I thought, well, seriously, there's a lot more things happening, like maybe secret family courts that are going wrong, or maybe even five in terms of the environment, uh, 5G has been ca- causing things to go wrong, even in The Hague last year, where during tests, there were animals going dead all simultaneously at the same time. And even here locally, there's problems with the, there's problems with the enforcement of the dog-felling, fly-tipping and littering laws, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I did offer to Extinction Rebellion that I do have information on that I could probably share with your listeners as well as to how corrupt these laws are. But I don't think it's really going to get out there into the mainstream at all. And so, that, so that's what really drives me nuts, uh, really, to this day. Even although you, you, you must, or do you agree that our, the climate change is a problem that needs to be tackled? I mean, in 25 years' time, um, Jonathan, to be honest with you, I, it's highly unlikely that I'll be around, okay? I can add that and I can say, you know, 25 years, I doubt it. But you're 25, uh, you, you know, you're going to be around. You know what's going to be there in the future. So is, is this... You know, the way they're going about this wrong or is just the policies wrong? What do you think? What, what are you saying? Well, I'm, as I'm really elaborating, I think really the policies towards it are wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do believe the climate is being manipulated and changed, but I don't think it's through CO2 emissions. I think there are other things influencing it out there, which most likely if I reveal it, then I'll probably get laughed out of this programme anyhow without even being asked in detail or even inviting some of the experts actually talking about these things. Um, onto your show. But if you went back, let's say, oh, maybe five years, as little as that, five years ago, even somebody mentioning the words climate change were getting laughed out of the room. So things have moved on. So maybe you you do have an insight into something that that others, you know, in a few years' time will come to to say, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing the things people say to me, uh, you know, I, yeah, I heard somebody mentioning that on your show about six months ago. And then it comes to that generally people are talking about it. So you should never be afraid to give your opinions because that's why this show's on the radio. So you can give your opinions. Well, if I were to, well, if I were to give my opinion on perhaps maybe, let's say, HARP, when a modification technology, 
with some people out there like like uh, I'm just trying to uh, look here, like Ilana Freeland onto your show, that wouldn't be likely because most of your management probably will look into what she writes into all this, uh, even chemtrails as well. We've heard that scientists in the USA and Harvard are trying to put out the idea that we should uh, dim the sun, particularly with chemtrails, to try and stop it from happening. I mean, this is insane. And with the way things have been done, I would not want those policies um, at all. So there really needs to be a greater look at how these things are really dealt with. Mm. Interesting. Jonathan, thank you very much indeed for coming on and uh, giving us a call and at least uh, getting that debate underway this morning. Uh, uh, let's go to, that was Jonathan, let's go to John. Hello, John. Hello there, how are you this morning? I'm all right, thank you. Yourself? Great. Fine, thanks. Fine, thanks. I'm working in a farm in southwest Scotland, listening to your show. Um, I feel quite passionate about climate change. It's here, but I want to know, where's the authenticity of these reports that come out? Um, farming is causing a lot of climate change. The, the methane from cows. Um, methane doesn't actually cause climate change and actually a lot of the crops that we grow, methane will get used back up within the crops that we grow um, we're supposed to eat less meat now uh, to combat climate change in Scotland um, there's a lot of land that can't be ploughed up, um, it's only good for growing grass and these animals eat the grass, when they get, once it's shortened and then they eat it again that grass that's growing is using up a lot of carbon Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm listening. I'm. I'm finding what you're saying interesting because I, I'm. I'm. I'm not one of these. As if anybody who knows my build will understand, I don't live by salad alone. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoy. Where, where is where is the authenticity yeah. in these reports that are coming out? I mean, if you look, if you dive into these in depth, I think you'll find that they're they're not just a hundred percent. I don't think. So you don't believe everything you're being fed by the. Commission for Climate Change, or the CCC, as it was continually referred to by Rosanna Cunningham. Yes, well, I, th- I think there's dark forces at work. I mean, uh, last week there was, um, we're support- we've been told we've got to use a lot less water because um, animals, it's used, uh, livestock production uses too much water. I'm afraid not in Scotland, uh, North England or Wales, we don't. We've got plenty of this stuff. Uh, there maybe they've took the reports from maybe uh, places in this world that, haven't got as much water resources as we have, but mm. these guys jump on the bandwagon and um, the livestock, the agriculture industry, we're taking a battering at the moment and there's nobody standing up for us saying what we're doing. We, as a milk producer, I, I am encouraged to um, keep my carbon footprint low. We do audits every year. Um, we try and use less plastic, etc., etc., etc. We're doing a bit. It's just that there's a lot of people out there knocking at the moment, and I thought, I thought obliged to give you a phone yeah. and just put my side to the story. Is that not a case, though, John, that farmers, in in, in a way, and, and sometimes in a humorous way, uh, are always putting themselves up to be knocked down? You know, but and, and I understand it's serious now, and I, I must admit I've always come down in the defence of of Scottish farmers and, and Scottish fishermen, you know, who I, I think have had a raw deal for, for many years um, in, in different yeah. aspects of it. But um, where in particular do you think you're getting the raw deal at the moment? Who is who is it that's having a go at you? Well, the, every if you watch the BBC, every, just about every week, 
there seems to be an agenda against farmers. We are we are the main contributors to uh, climate change, and well, one of the main contributors contributors to climate change, and we need to eat less of this and more of that. And I, I don't know. I, I, I don't find know. that if you, if you start if you start importing a lot of food from abroad, you need, you've got to put air miles onto that, and yeah. that is that. Where where is um, Where's the reports about the aviation fuel and the amount of uh, what's what that's contributing to climate change? Do well, you hear that much in the media these days? Yeah, well, to be fair, in that report, it does say we're going to be have to taking less flights. I, I, I just go yeah. back to what you're saying there about you look at the BBC. There's another organisation that's always been knocked, and and you know, I, I think for you to say that they they're not particularly. Um, on your well, side, there's no other station uh, or our company has a program like Landward. Surely that's open. No. that's always really in your favour. Surely, yeah. Well, if you look at the, the news recently, BBC, the BBC is they're knocking agriculture. If you look at ITV, they're not doing it in the same respect. So there's underlying forces. But anyway, you've got, you've probably got other callers waiting. I have indeed. On. I'm busy. Uh, well, and, get uh, on with it then. I'll be a crack on. Yeah, crack okay, on. Bye now. Bye bye. <laughs> we can get the milking done. Um, right, that was John number two. I don't believe another John. Three Johns in a row. Right, this is just trying to confuse me. John, hello. Hi there. Hi, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Your thoughts on this? Um, then? Yeah, I guess um, uh, partly related to to what you're previous caller was talking about but um but slightly different angle i think um the government needs to take a bit of a different view at food production in the country i think i think it is viable that scotland can be more sustainable and and i think uh we can do a lot i think we have to change and i think we can provide a bit of a leadership position in it but um but i think that from a from a food production perspective, we need to start looking at producing more plants, more different plants in the country. I think we've got plenty of land. There's plenty of ways. Other countries like Holland are showing how you can grow diverse agriculture using uh, more greenhouses, effectively using green energy. And I just think the, the government needs to take a bit more of a holistic perspective on it and um, and not pass the buck back to, to us as individuals. You think that's um, what they're doing? I think so. I think Rosanna Cunningham talked about food production as being critical, but in terms of what we're doing um, around food production, we're, we're not, we've not invested in any change or encouraged any change which ultimately could benefit the population as well. Okay, and, and have you got a professional interest in this? Not at all. No, um, no. Personal per, personal interest from from a perspective. Um, I've been plant based for two and a half years. Selfishly, it was a it was a health um, choice. Um, but ultimately, when you get to the point where you um, you start seeing the benefits at a personal level and the massive changes it can make, and you see that you can get nutrition from sources that previously you've been told were not appropriate. And and then you, you 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 have to get to the point where you say, well why why was I eating differently before and why as a you know as a nation or as a population are we have we made the choices and got to where we are where clearly there's ways that we can and help not only the environment but help 
um, people and individuals and the population just um, prosper. Mm. You know, it's, it's circular in terms of health, national health service, and and agriculture. It's and inter- interesting. So that, yeah, it's interesting that your experience has been health, and you have obviously um, by changing the way you eat, what you eat, you're obviously seeing the health benefits for, personally for it. Uh, massively, yeah, massively from from yeah from every marker you want you want to choose, and and uh, I just think that that it's it's all linked. And I think if we, as I say, look at it more holistically and take a more intelligent view around what we grow, how we grow it, how we use energy. So, for example, the fact that we're paying foreign um, uh, energy companies uh, subsidies because we can't take the energy. Uh, that's being generated from our wind farms in the north of Scotland because of bottlenecks on the national grid. The fact that we could be using that uh, more effectively for for plant production, different crop crop production in in Scotland, where we've got the land, where we've got all of the resources we need to to grow, you know, more diverse crops, more effectively, uh, carbon neutrally. Um, all all the, all of the solutions are there from my perspective, but we're just not mobilising ourselves as a as a nation. Okay, John, I'm going to stop you there. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Um, Very interesting points on climate change there. If you've got a point, whether you want to agree or disagree with any of the three Johns that I've had on, or indeed you've got a point you'd like to make yourself, 033-2020-401. That's the number. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. What are you prepared to give up to save the planet? That's the question that we're asking at the moment. Scotland's being very ambitious with a pledge to be carbon neutral by 2045, which is just 25 years away. Andy, good morning to you. Good morning. How are we? Ah, we's no bad. How's yourself? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad, thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'm prepared to give up uh, a wee bit of meat uh, if it's going to help save the planet, so to speak. But what we've got to also ask is, are uh, politicians going to be prepared to give up all these flights? Certainly, how can we see swanning off the all corners of the world? Uh, basically asking us to, how can we see, sort of give up flying, give up meat, uh, while we continue to do the same? Uh, and then what you've got to look at is our world leaders. Uh, uh, are you going to be sort of prepared to start taking a pledge as well and do exactly the same? Because as Scotland as a whole, uh, we, basically we could all stop flying, all stop eating meat, but the likes of China, America, uh, you name it, if we keep going the way it is, it would not make one iota of a difference. There's also the bit as well, Andy, that you know, we we'll have to ask ourselves, if we are getting to a situation that we're talking about and, and, and that has been mentioned you know, by the Commission for Climate Change and, and Rosanna Cunningham also saying, talking about taking less flights, um, that's just one example. I'm just taking that, you know, the, the, the flights, will, we're going to stop doing that. So politicians should lead by example. So how are these politicians going to get to work every week that live in Scotland and work in London? They're not going to take the megabus, are they? And, and, and at the end of the day, it's, it's still going to be, you know, they're still going to be uh, polluting the atmosphere or indeed uh, causing emissions no matter which way they travel. 
So it's, it's, no, how, I mean, how did they lead them? Yeah, I mean, this is correct, but I mean, nowadays we've got a, I mean, you've got video calling, you've got, oh, let, let's just see, uh, I mean, it could all be done uh, via like satellite con- conferencing, uh, do we really need to be down at Westminster claiming uh, mega pounds and expenses and what have you, staying in expensive sort of B&Bs, uh, costing the taxpayer money, I mean, uh, in this day and age, you'd have thought that votes could have been done, uh, how can we say, electronically, uh, unless there was a big debate that you've got to be there face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I, I just find it kind farcical that, as I see, these people go sort of swanning off down to London uh, for a week at a time, and the taxpayer sort of uh, picks the bill up in what I'm actually achieving. I mean... But we just had the big Brexit sort of debate, and they didn't achieve nothing on that. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's just my—you you put your trust in the politician to do something, uh, and they're not really doing it. I mean, it's okay asking everybody else to do. Uh, how can we say stop eating meat, stop taking flights, uh, go to eating a lot more sort of vegetables? But I mean, I mean these people are also sort of prepared to take risks. Uh, on board. I mean, that's what I'm saying. And as a whole of Scotland, if everybody uh, stopped taking flights, stopped eating meat, you're still going to have countries like China, uh, the USA, polluting the air. So for what we cut down on carbon, uh, we'd probably just increase. We'd probably use uh, a lot more. So you, you really need every country to buy into it. And with all the best will in the world, that's highly unlikely to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, as I say, we all need to do a bit. We can't mm-hmm. say we don't. Yeah. Uh, but um, if it's just one nation going to do it, I, I just it's not actually going to help one little bit. Uh, it, 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 that's just my view, so to speak. No, nope, I, I mean, think I think it's a good view as well. And 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 you know, you you've um, introduced another subject in there, really. And and then I'm thinking for years now. Um, Parliament, whether it be in Scotland or it, uh, and down in Westminster, have carried out their business the same way as it's been done for years and years and years. Um, who's going to be brave enough to stand up and say, we need to change this system? Because if you look at Westminster, what have they achieved over the last year, apart from spouting a lot of hot air and getting nowhere as far as Brexit is concerned? So there is oh, yeah. ro- there's room for change there, isn't there? Yeah, certainly. I mean, it needs to be looked at, as I say, uh, how long is this going to go on? It could go on another six months, it could go on another two years. Uh, and, as I say, we're not going to be any further forward, we're either in or we're out. It's, mm. it's one, one of the two. Andy, thank you very much indeed for your views this morning. Thank you. Uh, Brendan, good morning. Hi, good morning. Yeah, I was phoning in about climate change. Um, I think the only way that could work is if everybody had done the same thing. But China and India are going full ahead with coal-fired power stations. They're building them all the time because they've got mountains of coal over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the steelworks closed in Motherwell, the director was asked a question, why are you leaving? And he said, well, put it this way, we're paying four times for our energy. is what the Chinese are paying. And twice what the French are paying. He says, we can't sustain that. Now, Nicola Sturgeon never ever mentioned anything like that when she talked about giving Liberty still money to take that over. 
she gave it. She gave them it. Uh, she gave uh, I don't know how much millions to Tata when they were leaving Motherwell, and Liberty Steel got it for a pound. And uh, it's an energy problem. They can't compete with the Chinese now. People say, "Well, China's dumping steel here." No, they're not dumping steel. They're their biggest bill, their energy bill, is a quarter of what we pay. Now, this new bridge that went over the fourth, all the steel came from China. Mm-hmm. All the concrete came from France. And uh, that must tell the, the government something. that They can get made far cheaper abroad. Uh, windmill electricity is the most expensive electricity you can get. And we're subsidising them. Now, I've worked in the oil industry all my life. I think fracking is a good thing because Jim Ratcliffe that owns Grangemouth says he's buying gas from Pennsylvania for a fifth the price of North Sea gas and he says now sell it for half the price of North Sea gas. That guy's going to make billions. Now the people here could benefit from that, from the cheap gas but Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP saying there'll be no fracking in Scotland, uh, that's a big mistake because any any energy source has got a downside. If it's coal, you've got the problems with the sulphur and the carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. If it's nuclear, look at Chernobyl. Windmill electricity, very expensive. Companies don't want to come here. And the government keeps talking about jobs, jobs, jobs. Well, you're scaring them away with, with high energy costs. So I can't see how we're going to attract industry here with high electricity prices, high the, gas prices. The costs are just too high. When they, and and, 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 and you can understand that, can you? you if you were oh, in course. charge of that business, you were a Jim Ratcliffe, you'd be doing exactly the same thing. That's right. Now, in China, the Chinese will sign anything. See all this uh, climate change agreements and all that. They sign everything, but they go and do something completely different. China and India are going full ahead with coal power stations. They're opening a new coal power station in China every month. They can't get enough energy. And India is the same. But they're signing these agreements and it's an unle- uh, uneven playing field because we're, the Scottish government, for example, are saying, oh, we fell in love with windmills, but it's expensive. Yeah. And they're talking about carbon capture. Alex Sam was talking about running a pipeline from Longanit Power Station to the Miller field and it's costing a billion that's at least a billion who's, who's going to pay for that to put yeah. carbon back in it we can't afford to do that Brendan this country's got a bigger problem this country's problems is debt and the debt keeps rising and we'll end up with Venezuela Brendan thank you very much indeed for, for calling in with your views very interesting points as well that number remains the same 0333 2020 Scotland's Talkin, the podcast. It's almost 20 years since this happened. The Scottish Parliament adjourned on the 25th day of March in the year 1707 is hereby reconvened. And next week, we'll have a special edition of Scotland's Talkin, looking back at two decades of devolution. And I'd like to invite you to come to Holyrood to join us for that. Now, you don't have to come to Holyrood next Sunday, but next Saturday, because we're going into Holyrood on the Saturday and recording part of the programme for the Sunday morning's show. 
So if you would like to be in a small, very, very, very uh, elite invite, you know, if you'd like to be in the audience, I'd love you to be there. Uh, you can come along and uh, um, ask some of the politicians that will be on our panel, like former First Minister Jack McConnell and various others. Um, you can ask them the questions if you can uh, get in there as well if you've got a question. If you'd like to be there, and uh, you know, asking you the question, what has the Scottish Parliament achieved in 20 years? Was it worth bringing it back. And has it, here's a, I suppose the, the, the crux of the whole thing is, has it made your life better? That's what we'll be asking next week when we're recording that on Saturday morning. Now, you need to be at Holyrood for just after 10 o'clock. We'll, we'll, our aim is to start recording at 11. If you would like to be in the audience, um, then please get in touch. It's easy. All you need to do is go onto the station website to register or indeed you can text as well. Text the word talk and give us your name. You know, so it would be talk, then your name, and the number is 61054. It's a standard rate message, and we'll get back to you uh, probably tomorrow uh, by the time the team sorts out some of the, um, the the texts that are already in there. We'll get back to you and see if everything fits in if we give you the arrangements. So that's next Saturday, okay, this coming Saturday. Um, you need to be at Holyrood, as I say, for just after 10. If you can do that and you would like to be in the audience, then I'd love to see you there. If you've got a question you want to put as well, then that'd be fantastic. That text number again is 61054. Text the word TALK and leave your name as well. We'd love to hear You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. This is Scotland's Talking Sunday, of course, as always. And we're here with your opinions and music to take us through until midday. It's a year, believe it or not, since Scotland brought in minimum pricing of alcohol. And this morning, I'm asking the question, have you noticed any difference? The rule means that shops have to sell booze for a price, a price of at least 50 pence per unit. So the stronger the drink, the higher the price. It took five years to get the law passed by MSPs in 2012 into effect because of fierce opposition and legal challenges from the, the drinks industry as well, of course. So what were they worried about? Has your drinking habits changed? Have you even noticed? Azim Gafar is a shopkeeper in Dundee and he told our reporter Callum Clark that sales of one drink have fallen. Uh, yeah, especially uh, in the sale of the cider, because, uh, you know, they are quite strong. And uh, after the, this law of uh, minimum price unit, so uh, the cider sales goes uh, down. And uh, also the cash and carry, they are not selling ciders. No, some uh, like uh, some cash and carries uh, like uh, Booker, they st- stop selling the cider like three liter because it's not selling good. And because you mentioned drinks like Frosty Jacks, just... Yeah, yeah, Frosty Jack, like uh, Ace or something. Uh, these ciders, it's quite slow. So have you noticed people who would maybe previously come in and, and buy more drink and now they're buying less? Yeah, especially cider. The others, um, maybe you can say like 5-10% less. But in this, is too, too huge fluctuation in the sale. Do you have any thoughts on it, if it's been like a success or not at all, or...? Uh, I think I don't think so because it should the law should be same. You see, if you go in England and Ireland, that's a different law. In Scotland, it's totally different. I think because we are in the we come in the UK, so there should be a same law. If they they want to like uh, 
implement they should implement all over the UK not only the Scotland but these people in the city spoke to Callum and said it's not made any difference to them well, absolutely not no. no I would still buy it yeah if, if I need well, one to buy something but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we still buy our normal wine decent wine beers, beers probably yeah. hasn't made a lot of difference no and in terms of kind of, it was obviously brought in to try and discourage people from maybe over-consuming alcohol. Do you maybe think it's worked at all? Or? No, I think it's probably just costed people that do that more money. And they will get the money anywhere, won't yeah. they? It's made no difference to the amount I buy. Um, there's nothing I'd really buy that would normally be affected by it, so it hasn't made a difference. Because I think it's like, ciders have been the big hitters, like Frosty Jacks went from like £3 to like 11 quid, but... For you, yeah. it's just not made a difference. It's almost embarrassing about what we buy. We just buy things like Fissily Cross, and that's not affected. So that's the, and sometimes Lidl cider, which is quite nice, but that's not affected either. So, um, yeah, that's all that we get. And then just normal, you know, beers and spirits that haven't seemed to be affected that we can, not that I've noticed anyway. Or we buy it in England and bring it back over the border. Or we buy it in England and bring it back over the border. Well, is it, so it's cheaper in England, would it? There are things that are significantly cheaper in England. And sometimes we'll keep an eye out for those things and buy them when we're down and bring them up. Some campaigners are calling for the unit price to be increased to 60 pence per unit. Alison Douglas from Alcohol Focus Scotland says it's too early to judge the success of the law. We've been having a discussion about uh, the amount that we're drinking in Scotland for a long time. Um, And we do have some pretty progressive policies. I mean, we're on the anniversary of the introduction of minimum unit pricing and we're hopeful that that's going to have a positive effect on, uh, on health and on uh, crime but we need to do we need to keep doing more Um, the widespread availability of alcohol you know used to be only sold in off licenses now it's in every corner shop every coffee shop every cinema Um, we need to be challenging that and we need to be uh, preventing the next generation our children and young people from being recruited um, to to become drinkers uh, through very appealing and very uh, widespread alcohol marketing. Um, So those are the areas where we'd like to see further action. The Scottish Government says it always planned to review its effectiveness after five years. So what do you think? Has it made a difference to you? You know, when you hear the the price there that cider jumped, uh, one brand of cider from £3 up to £11 a bottle because of the the strength of it... Um, it makes you wonder, and comes back to the point I think that uh, Alison Douglas was making there of alcohol focus. Scotland should it point out that the amount of places now that you can buy alcohol has it just gone the other way too much? You're right. You used to have to go to an off license, and off licenses would close by sort of quarter to ten, ten o'clock at night. Um, and now it's everywhere. It's every supermarket. Uh, one local authority tried to to stop a supermarket coming in, um, or, or indeed they got permission to build and then said, well, we're not giving you a license because we're not doing any new licenses. And the supermarket said, well, we won't build the supermarket and you'll lose the jobs. If we don't have a license, we can't compete. So I don't know that there's any way they could ever take the license away from everybody that's got them, but has it just gone too far in Scotland? Was this a good rule to bring in? Was that a good law to bring in? What do you think? Has it affected you? Has it, have you not even noticed? And at the end of the day, if that bottle of cider was £3, 
and it's now £11. Who gets the extra profit? Where does it go? You know, if they're making it now a minimum price of 50 pence, let's say the minimum price before was 25. I don't know. I'm just making that up because I don't know. Who gets the extra money? Is it the retailer? Is it the wholesaler? Because it's not a tax, is it, that's going to the government? So where, where, who's making the extra few bob? If nobody has made any difference, if nobody notices any difference and people are still buying their wines, etc., and their beers, who's getting the extra money? There must be extra money going around somewhere because we're charging the, the customers more. Uh, Louise McClure says, Re-alcohol pricing, all the minimum pricing does is penalise decent, ordinary people who just want a wee drink at home on a Saturday night and does nothing about the problem drinkers as there's always money for booze, fags, etc. So the idea was that we're trying to cut down people drinking and the alcohol problem that we have in Scotland. But according to Louise, that's not who it's hitting. Here's one in from Sue on social media. Sue says, minimum pricing. Some people just say it only affects the very cheap drinks, but it also affects the special offers on beers, wine and spirits in the supermarkets. Put on at holiday weekends, for instance. Check out offers here compared to the very same offers in stores in Carlisle. After all, the retailers are the only ones that are profiting from it. So she thinks the same as I'm thinking, that the retailers are profiting out of this. But you do see some offers that are in national papers, uh, in the newspapers, um, and underneath it has not available in Scotland. So in Scotland, we are being penalised. If you just go in and buy a bottle of wine now and again, you're being penalised for that compared to the rest of the UK. What's your thoughts on that? Is it right? Has it made a difference? And have we gone too far in giving out alcohol licences? Is it time to say enough is enough? Scotland's Talking, the podcast. John Ramage has uh, come in on the, the Facebook page, Ali Bally Show. Uh, that's going on there as well. Uh, the increase in alcohol has been a waste of time. I get my daughter who lives in England to bring me drink up when she visits. For example, a litre bottle of on-label gin is now £18.75 in Scotland and only £14.19 in England. Why on earth should the responsible drinker have to pay and the retailers are the only ones benefiting from this? So again... Um, someone else there thinking that's that's where the money goes, the extra money. And it's, it's true, it's, 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 it's a law that's been brought in. And if that is the case, that's like, say, £3.50 for every bottle of gin, extra profit. The supermarket or the retailer is gaining on that in Scotland. So you can understand why the retailers are not arguing against this law, are they? They've not come out and said it's a bad thing. They're scooping up some extra cash here. 20 past 11, good morning. Um, Just looking at uh, another one on social media that's come in, totally nothing to do with what we're talking about, but um, I'll throw it anyway. Jane says, Ali, could you please put out there, we need a new Prime Minister. Can someone please, from the Tory party, get it underway? She is a disgrace and we're getting nowhere. She is now calling on Mr Corbyn to work with her when she hasn't worked with anybody for the last three years on Brexit. They've done nothing for the last couple of years in London and Westminster except talk about Brexit. It's ridiculous. She has to go. 
There we are. It's off my chest. Jane, thank you very much indeed. Do you agree or disagree with Jane? I don't mind. Put that in there. If that's what you want to talk about. Uh, politics, that's great. You're listening to Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talking. So we're looking at how the minimum price of alcohol has affected you over the last years that the uh, the law has been there. Uh, Norma says, I can still pick up a bottle of decent 12% volume wine for a fiver, which is on offer from 750 So what's the problem? Minimum price is based on alcohol units. So regarding wine, nothing has really changed. It's the high alcohol gut-rotting ciders which has suffered more. And Liz says, Ali, the minimum pricing on alcohol hasn't affected me. Whenever I buy a bottle of wine, I have found there are offers on a good bottle of wine. And uh, so there they are. There's another couple of comments there as well on that on the, on the Facebook page. Uh, another question I'd like to ask you today. Do you sometimes feel that you're forced to go vegetarian? Now, nothing will force me to go vegetarian. That will just not happen. Because I don't want to. Simple as that. Somebody wants to go vegetarian, that's fine by me. On you go, fill your boots, not for me. But there does come a stage, you say to yourself, wait a minute. You know, because they shout an awful lot, vegetarians, it forces others to make choices that they might not want to make in restaurants, in shops. And this came to mind this week when I was speaking to somebody who'd been meeting friends for, for a, a lunch in, in a cafe in a local area that is known for its cakes and sandwiches and stuff like that. Now, it's a place that I've been a couple of times that I don't particularly like, so I was interested to, um, to say. So I said to this person, how was it? I said, yeah, it was okay. Lunch is all right. Oh, so just all right, yeah. All the cakes, you know how they normally have great cakes? I said, yeah. Well, all the cakes and things like that were all vegetarian. I said, well, all vegetarian? How do you make a cake without an egg? Anyway, there must be a way. <laughs> I'm not going to try it. Um, so, he says, yes, everything was vegetarian. I said, did you ask why? Well, they just said that was what they were offering. So surely that is, you know, wrong, that you should just be offered one choice. It's like Marks and Spencer's. They've been in the headlines this week for changes to the recipe of the chewy sweets called Percy Pigs. Never tasted of them, and up until this week, never heard of them. So good PR exercise, MS. Because we're now talking about Percy Pigs. The problem, for some people, is that all the sweets are now made to a veggie recipe, which doesn't use gelatine. Up until now, there have been two types of Percy Pigs. See, I'm beginning to know about these things. There were two types, made with and without gelatine. Some of the devotees say the new ones taste like washing up liquid. M&S has responded, saying they've made them taste as close to the original as possible. Now, here's the thing. A survey done last year suggested that 14% of the UK population is vegetarian. So is it right that the other 86% have to put up with the changes? That's the thoughts. So do you sometimes feel you're being forced to be vegetarian? Comment come in here just as I'm speaking, saying that vegan cakes are not vegetarian. Begins with a V. Is there a difference? 
So what do you think? Are we sometimes being forced to be vegetarians or indeed go down that route? Are you a vegetarian and you're not happy with what is on offer anyway? Goodness sake. Remember, a few years ago, you go and there would be one thing on a vegetarian menu. A chef, you know, just wouldn't want to do it. Now it's different. There's quite a selection. And I think that's good because really I've, I've nothing against those who want to go vegetarian or who are vegetarians. They just always look ill to me. You know, <laughs> too. <laughs> you can look at someone and go, she's a vegetarian. Anyway, what are your thoughts on that, on vegetarian or indeed vegan cakes then? If they were vegan cakes, uh, why should we just be offered the one and because someone who works or owns that particular business thinks that's what we should be offered. O treble three twenty twenty four oh one is the number. You can also text six one oh five four. Start your message with Ali, and on Facebook I'm on Ali Bally Show. Plus, of course, Twitter, which is hashtag Scotland's Talking. Uh, so keep those comments coming in, please. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Ali, the only problem with people going vegetarian is our bodies need meat, fish and dairy to keep healthy, as without these things we can become quite ill. Not a good idea in my view. Really? Surely there there can't be medical science and research to prove that, because if that was the case, that you became ill because you were vegetarian, um, because you're not eating meat, fish and dairy... If that was the case, then people wouldn't do it. You wouldn't deliberately go and harm your body with a collar and error on and saying that he's never felt healthier and it was through health. So, I mean, I think it's it's down to everybody's free choice, but I, I, I don't think it's... I'm no doctor, but um, to say uh, our bodies need meat, fish and dairy to remain healthy, I, I don't think that's totally 100%. It's up to you, depending on how your body takes it. Uh, so... Uh, asking that question, do you sometimes feel that we're we're being pushed a little bit by vegans and vegetarians? Um, just in a couple of uh, comments there being told. They're different things, Ali. Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, also, on, on another question we're going to ask, and I can squeeze it in now, I think, uh, because we are getting into the last 20 minutes, which is, always just rushes away from me, this programme. Uh, are you guilty? You know, if, you, if you've got any comments on the, the vegetarianism, just keep them coming in. Here's the number again, 033-2020-401. We've also been talking climate change and alcohol pricing today, um, minimum alcohol pricing. So if you've just got in from the Kirk or been out running or away for a vegetarian scone and a cup of coffee, then welcome. This is Scotland's Talking. Uh, those are the things we're talking about. Here's another one. Are you guilty of getting too close to your pets. A study is warning that being over-affectionate with our animals could be putting our long-term health at risk. More about that in a moment. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Scotland's talking. A very good morning to you. And before the break there, I was talking about are you guilty of getting too close to your pets? The study that has happened is saying being over-affectionate with animals could be putting our long-term health at risk. The team at Glasgow Caledonian University say if we let go kissing them on the nose or letting them lick us... um, 
on the face. That could transfer antibiotic-resistant bugs. Dr Adele Dixon led the study and she's been talking to Hannah Carmichael. The take-home message from the study is not that people stop enjoying their pets and it's not that they stop having affectionate relationships with them. We know that there are a huge hosts of positive physical and mental health benefits from engaging in these kinds of relationships with animals. But the study does make some suggestions around about small changes that we can make to behaviour in the family home. So those would be things like not having the companion animal lick our mouths, keeping our eating utensils, so our cups and bowls and plates separate from the companion animals. If we've got a skin wound or the animal has a wound, we keep that covered. And just really adopting simple, basic hand hygiene, particularly if we've been out of the park playing with the dog or we've been stroking it or grooming it or hugging it, or if we're preparing meals, and especially before we eat. So it's not just a case of you know watching what your dog's doing and how you're interacting with them, it's also from the, the medical point of view. The risk of transmission of the bugs that are resistant to antibiotics is really quite low, but there's still a very, very small risk. So anything we can do in the home to lessen the risk further is a good thing. But the main message is to stop and think about antibiotics. The pet owners spoke about their companion animals as children or babies or as their best friends. They had this really deep emotional connection. When the animal becomes unwell, the animal can't tell them about the nature or the severity of the symptoms. And so the owners quite often feel entirely responsible. So when they go to the vet, they are quite often expecting an antibiotic, but we know that if an antibiotic isn't required, then they're actually doing more harm than good and that they're actually increasing the risk of antibiotic resistance, not just for the pet, but also for themselves and their families. Dr Adele Dixon talking there to Hannah Carmichael for Scotland's Talking. So, are you one of the guilty ones, or do you think, you know... Um, that's your pet and that's what you do and you just be left to get on with it. What do you think of that particular study saying you're getting too close to your pets? Old treble three twenty twenty four oh one. We've been uh, talking about various subjects this morning. We started off talking about the climate change and Ian, I think that's what you want to talk about, is it? Uh, just uh, climate change. I just uh, Nobody seems to mention it's too many people in the world. It's, uh, that's what's causing the main cause of poverty. Uh, pollution, let's say. It causes seven times more uh, every time a kid's born. Then they go on to have more kids. It causes seven times more pollution than all the other measures put together. But uh, the governments won't touch it. People won't talk about it. I'm afraid that's the point. I don't understand it myself, you know. But, uh, you don't understand but they won't talk I, about it? Is that what I don't understand people. Don't, I mean, people are having too many kids they can't afford. I mean, as God bless Judge Judy, she says, if you can't afford them, don't have them. I mean... <laughs> This is what I've got to laugh at. You see these food banks and all the rest that people can't afford kids. There's no reason to have kids if you can't afford them nowadays. Well, the contraceptive measures and all the rest of it. But, uh, but I'm going back to the pollution. That's what's causing it. Because every time a kid's born, that will go and have more kids. And uh, all that pollution. And uh, it's just uh, the world can't sustain it. In fact, as a kid, uh, a young lady in America, she uh, got sterilised uh, because she was so concerned about it. I know that's a bit extreme, but... Uh, mm. You got to respect her for doing it, you know. So, what would be your answer to that then? What would be the answer? Uh, yeah, as far as you well, I mean, I mean, you can't stop having kids. You can't. Well, stop, I mean, you can't stop people having kids. That's what I'm saying. Well, you can. Well, you can stop them having them if they can't afford them. You can take away the benefits and all the rest of it. If they had to say two kids or something, that'd be okay. But uh, if people can't afford them, they shouldn't be having them. So you would. I mean, you would stop you, them. I say, right? Okay. Well, I'm not going back to. Well, I know 
happily ruined all that. Eh? <laughs> I mean, uh, the, the the argument for that, but I mean, uh, it's definitely uh, something's got to be taken into consideration here, because I think we're just tinkering with the problem. Okay, thank you very much indeed. There you are. There's Ian's view on climate change that we were talking about earlier on, that uh, Scotland is being fairly ambitious with a pledge to be carbon neutral by 2045, which is just 25 years away. And and I was asking, you know, what, what you thought of an, the changes that would have to be made. We're talking about taking fewer flights. Uh, diets would be changing. Need to eat less meat and dairy. Um, you know, and, and central heating would have to be turned down to 19 degrees, so we're sitting with a blanket round us. Is that what we really want? Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Next week on the Talkin', it'll be a special edition, uh, looking back at two decades of devolution. Yes, it's coming out for 20 years uh, since it all came about. And I'd like to invite you to come to Holyrood, if you've been thinking about it, well, here's the details once again. We'll be recording part of the programme uh, next Saturday morning, that's the 11th of May, at the Scottish Parliament building with a panel of politicians and uh, you, hopefully, as well in the audience. If you've got a question you would like to ask or, indeed, just a, an observation, has it made your life better? Have you felt a better person because of it? The Scottish Parliament in 20 years, many things has been achieved. You talk free prescriptions, um, bridge tolls being abolished, what else is it? The smoking ban, of course, and many other things. We'll be looking at some of these. Has it made your life better? And would you like to be part of the audience? If you would, all you have to do is text your name to talk at 61054 and we'll get back in touch with you. Quite a few people have um, been doing that this morning, but I would ask you if you could please put your name on there as well. Okay, so it's... Text the word TALK, first of all, to 61054 and then give us your name. And we'll get back in touch with you, as I mentioned earlier, probably tomorrow. And uh, hopefully see you in the audience next Saturday. We'll be there for about probably about an hour and an hour and a half, maybe two hours from 10 o'clock back at 10. We'll start recording at 11. Cup of tea, wee biscuit, you know, that type of thing. Love to see you there. Uh, if you'd like to do that, once again, you can text the word TALK to 61054. It's a standard rate message and we'll call you back with the details or you can go onto the station website and you'll see a form to fill in.